0: I'm Graham Rose, and you are listening to Fred Jeffs, The Sweet Shop Murder. My unravelling of the mystery of the unsolved murder of my great uncle, Fred Jeffs, over the Easter weekend of 1957. Episode 7, Let Him Rest. We've reached the last chapter of this particular telling of the story. But of all the things learned, can we really separate the fact from the fiction? What do we know? We know that Fred ran Jeff's sweet shop with his wife, Betty, from the end of sweet rationing in 1953 until his death four years later. I can remember going to the shop. To either buy something or Fred would be very kind and give me some sweets. Uh, It was more modern, you see, the shop in Stanley Road. All the bottles of sweets, Lots of them, very, very busy shop. I bought two Melissa's today. Your mum never mentioned anything about a wife. No, His, his wife had left him. Nobody ever knew why. We know that while serving in the shop on Maundy Thursday, Fred was seen giving chocolates to a mystery woman and that he made arrangements to meet her. Mother knew he'd got a girlfriend, but D nobody ever saw the girlfriend, nobody ever met the girlfriend. Sightings of of a woman and um the, there was a mystery to it. We know he locked up the shop that night and took his dog Perro for a walk in Wallie Woods. That normally he would have the shop takings with him, and that he would park up on the perimeter road by the water tower. When he'd closed the shop he'd go for a walk, and then when he on the way back he'd go via the bank and put the takings in You know, he'd he'd do that. At half past ten, his van was seen two miles north in Langley. And Perro, his dog, 15 minutes later, collarless. At the same time, Fred's van was seen at the back of the shop, unusually parked. An unknown woman was seen closing the shop door behind her, jumping into the A30 van and leaving at about ten past eleven. Hours pass until the sighting of a speeding van before dawn in Smethwick and the discovery at 6.30 a.m. of Tom 89, Fred's van, in Whitton. Splatters of blood on the windscreen, smears of blood and vomit in the rear. We know that two boys picked up an unusual object on the roadside at Wasson. It was a, it was a, a random find of the starting handle, and Alan Paddles, Alan picked it up first and And of course, he looked at it, not realising that it was blood and, I presume, bits of his brain, whatever. I don't know. It's the likely murder weapon. Of course, Alan was then aware. He says there's somebody following us, and as we speeded up, so he he sort of speeds up slightly as well to keep up, but at a discreet distance. They're chased off by a stranger, and the starting handle is lost. And we know that hours later, four teenage boys would stumble across the beaten, partially hidden body of Fred beneath an elder tree in a spinny at Wasson. I can't, I can't remember who said he, but some said a hey, shoe. Anyway, we started poking about, and then as it come up, there was a foot in the shoe. As we pulled it a bit more, then, that's, that's when we saw the leg. And that's when he, we got the wind up. That's when he started to frighten us the fact that he comes from hollyhead road police station his name was bill thomas i remember him telling me about finding a body and um that he was the first one involved like we know that the police found money disappeared from the shop takings and that they searched the flat thoroughly for hidey holes and we had to have some floorboards taken up and they were all loose that a missing five pound banknote was never traced and that neither robber murderer nor mystery woman have ever been identified to this day. These are the facts of the case, but so much else, in the absence of fact, is mere speculation, hearsay, rumour or tittle-tattle. I seem to remember my father saying that he was in debt or he owed money. I think Fred didn't want the taxman to know everything he did. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and he was obviously going off with other women. And I believe that he was rather brutal with her. Um, he knocked her about a bit, I believe. Oh. Does either that angle or just maybe he has an argument with the family he had and he didn't want them to know about his money. That no. sometimes happens as well, doesn't it? He used to pick. to be male. you need to know. After the body was taken back, I did the post-mortem. When I cut him open, checking him, found out he got VD. Did he give it to somebody else because of all the women he was with? And that's why he was bumped off. Stories told by those who were there at the time and those for whom the legend would be retold and embellished by second or third hand narrators. The impact it had on some people was very real and close to home. And my mother came up and told me. I was told he'd been murdered, but nothing else. Everybody was completely shocked. They knew him so well, it was like almost losing one of, the, one of the nearest and dearest, really. Well, um, which was shocking, you know. I didn't think like that before. But I think it, it was quite late at night, and I got to walk along Stanley Road and I was, I was frightened to death. And we were scared, there is a murderer on the loose. It was how it felt. And that impact for some has left a lasting impression. And people say to me, you remember that dog? There was a poodle, I I, am I right or not, in the picture of his dog in that window, in the back of that van. And it stuck in my mind all my life and I never thought that it would be days I found him. I mean, when we saw the show and we started messing about with it and then there was a foot on it. You know, when you're that age, it really, it really frightens you. It's stuck in my, but it's stuck in my brain all these years. It's something you can't ever forget because I had nightmares about it for years. Especially when I found out what had happened. Fred Jeffs was my great uncle, or rather, he is and forever will be my great uncle, but of course he wasn't in his lifetime, because he was long gone before I was born. And I guess this illustrates how a person is many different things to different people. No single version, but a community of versions, a tapestry of multiple threads. My weaving together of these threads breathes some life back into Fred's story, although suddenly it's the manner of his death that has come to dominate the way he was thought of in life. The shocking effect of his death is the lightning rod which gave me the license to talk to people, to connect with strangers. It has allowed me to corral their disparate voices into one collective story all of these people affected in some way by the murder. And I've discovered so much more about my mysterious relative through their generosity, their warmth, and their willingness to share stories. And when I speak to somebody in their 70s, they speak to me with the voice of an eight or a nine-year-old that's been transported back to the scene, their memories crystallised by the events. I've met a woman and her son who were in the shop buying Easter eggs on that fateful Maundy Thursday. I've spoken to a shop assistant who had worked part-time for Fred. I've spoken to those now in their 70s or 80s who were children in the shop buying sweets and ice cream, teens buying tobacco. A woman on her way home from the Wally Odeon who walked past the shop on the night of the murder. I've spoken to a boy who was out hunting on Wasson at dawn, who heard the owl that he thinks disturbed a murderer? I think because uh, afterwards he said all the kids used to call it Jeff's Wood, all the local kids, yeah. And he says, oh, he says, Jeff's Wood, where they buried the body. I've met the boys who stumbled across the murder weapon on Good Friday morning, boys that may have looked the murderer in the eye shaken hands with the boy who had Fred's brains all over his hands. And I've met the last surviving member of the group of friends who discovered Fred's body beneath the elder tree on that spring afternoon. I've met women who remember the police search of Wally Woods. Women who were interviewed during the house-to-house inquiries. I've met the woman who took over the sweet shop. The woman who turned it into a pet shop 20 years later. ...whose Uncle Owen was Fred's best friend. And I've met the current owners... ...who remember the creaking floorboards and chill breeze... ...haunting the upstairs rooms where Fred once lived. I've met a woman who remembers the search for Peril. And a girl who grew up playing with Peril... ...years after the murder. I've spoken to the sons, relatives and colleagues of police officers... ...who worked the case... And I've met those neighbours and customers of Jeff's sweet shop who remember the living and breathing character that was Fred Jeff's and who bring me that little bit closer to the relative I never knew. And in between the scattering of jigsaw puzzle pieces, the truth feels tantalisingly close. We all want the jigsaw completed, but in the 60-odd years since the murder... Evidence has been contaminated. Truth has been replaced by conjecture, and the story become myth. There are now as many different puzzles as there are voices, with so many of the pieces scattered, lost, or destroyed through time. The, the, the annoying thing, I think, what frustrated most of the local people um, was the fact that, especially my dad's age, um, a murder happened on the, on the doorstep. But the police couldn't come up with any sort of motivation or or reason. Can we ever discover the full truth? Press and police reports of the time lead me, like every keen sleuth, towards the elusive perpetrators of the crime. But it's doubtful that justice will ever be done. I realise that more important to finding the killer is paying due respect to the man who has become a victim twice over. By taking the blame, his own demise. On Friday the 26th of April 1957, a week after the discovery of his body, Fred Jeff's funeral takes place at Quinton Parish Church. The service is kept low-key, with details withheld from the public so the family can focus on their loss. The coffin is accompanied by nine, mainly family mourners, and six policemen, four of them in plain clothes. His friend since childhood, Owen Way, is present, but not Fred's wife, Betty, who is absent and who told the family she wanted no other women whatsoever at the funeral. Despite this request, Fred's sister Ivy and Alice, my granny, are present. Plus, a few women shoppers too, who are distant spectators at the cemetery despite the attempt to keep the times secret. Wreaths are left from his father, from customers and neighbours in Stanley Road, and one with a note saying, from his wife Betty, comma, and Perrault. There are two urns for flowers from siblings Ivy and Doug, which are still there today. It's up in Quinton, isn't it? Quinton Cemetery. And the old man's buried there as well. At the adjourned inquest on the 20th of June, eight weeks after the funeral, the coroner George Billington records a verdict of murder by some person or persons unknown. And thereafter, the investigation fizzles out. Fred's heartbroken father puts out a reward for information, his life savings of 250 pounds. That money was hard-earned, he says, but I would willingly give it to anyone who can help find the killer of my son. No one approaches with information, Even despite it increasing to £1,000 after friends and local shopkeepers chip in to boost the reward. No one is ever arrested, no one brought to justice. A request to access the police records to discover what documentation and forensic evidence still exists came to nothing. You see, Even though the Jeff's case remains an unsolved murder, all the archive material, the Macintosh belt, the wallet, the glasses, the air pistol, have disappeared, seemingly destroyed. Perhaps it was as a consequence of the borough forces amalgamating in the 70s with the formation of the West Midlands Police. Perhaps it was just part of an ongoing rationalisation, space saving, or perhaps The Jeff's file was deemed dispensable. Fred had become an isolated figure, with no one fighting his corner, except his bereaved family. As a cold case, you'd hope for better. Between the end of the war and the dreadful mass murder of the pub bombings in 1974, there were just six unsolved murders reported in the West Midlands metropolitan area. Since the 70s, there have been ten times as many, despite developments in forensics and documentation. Returning to the funeral, discreetly arranged for that Friday after Easter, we have no record of what the Reverend Compton, Rector of Quinton Church, said in his service. He may have referred to being betrayed by a kiss on Maundy Thursday, He may have spoken of a son's sacrifice on Good Friday. He may have talked of a death that cleanses all of our sins, of eternal life and a story without end. The eulogy may have mentioned that Fred was born in Stirlingshire to his Worcestershire parents on St George's Day 1919 that the family moved to a terraced house on Bath Row in Birmingham when he was just a small boy. It may have mentioned that he got his first job with the Austin at Longbridge and that at the outbreak of war he joined the Army Service Corps as a driver. It may have mentioned he spent his 21st birthday in France with the Expeditionary Force and a month later got trapped behind enemy lines in the chaos of Dunkirk where he was captured. It may have mentioned that he was transported east into Poland and spent the next four and a half years as a prisoner of war in a dilapidated 17th century fort at Poznań. But from January to April 1945, he endured the several hundred mile death march west through Czechoslovakia to Stalag 7 in Bavaria driven by the retreating Germans as they escaped the advancing Red Army. That they scavenged raw potatoes from fields, and that many beside him died of dysentery, typhoid, starvation, and those too weak to march were left on the roadside or shot by guards where they lay. It may have mentioned that after dmop he returned to his family in Quinton, That he worked for the corporation helping to rebuild the city after the war, that he spent his demob payments on a flash car and attracted a beautiful young bride who lived virtually opposite his parents' house in Stanley Road. That they saved up to buy their own business, opened just in time for the coronation, which he ran successfully for several years. It may have mentioned that he died suddenly, a few days short of his 38th birthday. These are also things that we know about Fred Jeffs and things we should remember because it's easy for the good things to get lost as his story is bent to make sense of the bad thing that happened. Why do we do it? We need to feel secure. When the murderer can't be found, we still need an ending. We try to make sense of a senseless act by telling ourselves that Fred must have brought it on himself. We tell ourselves that we are not like Fred Jeffs, that it couldn't possibly happen to us. We try to allay our fear that what happened to him could happen to any of us, that in reality, we are all Fred Jeffs. A body stumbled across in the undergrowth of a leafy beauty spot is the starting point for a thousand it. The murderer and the mystery woman remain out there. And there are people alive today who can tell us what happened. But have chosen to remain silent up until now. Of that, I am certain. But who knows? Hearing this now may spur them to share their stories, just as my new friends have shared theirs. I seem to remember my father saying, "I can remember going yes. to the shop. I, I think." Very nice. Very nice. My mum said, don't matter what the chaps were, you ought to die a natural death. That's right, that you need let him rest. You should let him rest. It isn't the end. It never is. Where are the bloopers that I once knew? They sang for me, as they sang for you. Lush was the garden where our love was true. But a cold April wind Said we Fred Jeff's The Sweet Shop Murder is created by me, Graham Rowe with original music and sound design by Fox and Washer and direction from Steve Johnston. This podcast series is made possible with the support of Black Country Touring and the original theatre production was supported by the Birmingham Rep and the Arts Council of England. If you'd like to rate, review or tell us who done it, please get in touch. Hashtag Fred Jeffs.